0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Whole and Complete Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shante. And Whole and Complete is all about faith and wellness, loving God and living well. And we are in the middle of a series of series, the relationship series. The first of which is our relationship with food. And this is a continuation from part one. So as we get into part two today, I want to bring your attention back to our guiding scripture, which is Matthew 4.4. And it says this, he answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, Matthew 4 and 4. So what are we getting into today? Today we are talking about emotional connections, spiritual hunger, and healthier frameworks. So to recap, last week we talked about relationships. We had a definition that Relationship is the way in which two people, two objects or concepts are connected. And we talked about all those ways in which we become connected to food. And so today we're talking about the emotional underpinnings of that relationship because food is emotional more so than I think we realize we tend to have a lot of emotional connections to food. Certain foods remind us of certain people or places and things. Certain foods can trigger memories Food is how some of us maintain our connections to people. And for some of us, food is an escape. And even further than that, for some of us, we have this complicated relationship with food because of certain messages that we received when we were growing up or as we kind of matriculated through adulthood. For example, don't get up from this table until you finish your plate. So, if you were that kid where you could not leave the dinner table until all of your food was gone, depending on the portion sizes, you know, you can easily develop the habit of overeating or feeling guilty when everything on the plate has not been consumed. On the other hand, I know people whose parents hated cooking for them, like some parents hate cooking for their children. And it's like a source of resentment, like, oh, you know, you hungry again, you know, that sort of thing. And so kind of making it seem like it was a burden to cook for their children. And so they grew up in drive through windows and eating Pop-Tarts, like whatever was easy, whatever was low hanging fruit, whatever meant that as a parent who was struggling to raise their kids, whether that was financially or emotionally or what have you, food was just one more chore. Food was just one more log on the fire of thing to do. And so when you think about growing up in that kind of dynamic, what kind of messaging does that set up psychologically and emotionally regarding feelings of worthiness with respect to nutrition. In other cases, sometimes poverty plays a role. So if you grew up poor and your milk was not always refrigerated, I know I have a lot of bougie listeners on this podcast, but listen, (laughs) believe it or not, milk can sometimes come powdered. I know, shock and awe, and you have to add water in order to get it to a halfway decent consistency but y'all don't know nothing about that but if you grew up like that you know all about it and so if you're you know milk wasn't always refrigerated and you guys shopped from the generic aisle of the shelf and special meals only came during the holidays then maybe you learned not to be a picky eater and just eat what was available and so how does that manifest with respect to how you eat in adulthood or the opposite may be true you you Now, because you have means and money and education, you decide to buy the best of everything because you associate being able to shop at Costco and Whole Foods with feelings of status and worthiness. And it's your way of shedding that stigma of being poor when you were younger. In fact, this can be like so insidious, like it can be like so sneaky and kind of creep up on you. I remember back in the 80s, maybe it was early 90s, but I want to say it was like the 80s. There was this peanut butter commercial and it said the slogan was choosy moms choose Jif. Think about that. Think about that statement. Choosy moms choose Jif. And you know that advertisement is all about psychological manipulation and kind of like planting these seeds of insecurity and inferiority and and shaming, okay? So in this particular commercial, choosy moms choose Jif, That is a really privileged statement. It is throwing subtle shade at moms saying, hey, if you were a good mom, you would buy this kind of peanut butter. And it's crazy that something as small as that can create mom guilt or shame around having money or not having money about being able to afford something like Jif. Another emotional connection is that food for a lot of you... (laughs) is a love language like I have a friend her whole love language is tacos like if you bring her some tacos y'all gonna be friends for life (laughs) you know so for some of you you know you and your boo y'all connected through a series of whining and dining and food is an expression of love and affection and back in the days I don't know if this is still happening today but back in the days women were taught that the way to a man's heart was through his stomach. And so, you know, y'all fell in love over the buffet, you know, or you learned how to cook so that you could make yourself more romantically attractive and available to a potential suitor. And then if that is the bond through which or the vehicle through which you all became close or bonded or started to build your relationship, now, when one of you tries to eat healthier, it can create some conflict and discord if you are not on the same page. And you feel bad if... Somebody that you love, your significant other fried you some chicken, cooked you some biscuits from scratch, and all you want to eat is raw vegetables and hummus. You know, things like weight loss or changes in diet can actually cause problems in relationships when one partner is not supportive or that partner gets triggered by insecurities like, oh, who are you trying to look good for? Who are you trying to get thin for? Who are you trying to get snatched for? Those types of things happen and those conflicts can arise all the time. So when I say food is emotional, there are tons of emotions associated with food. And there's also social conditioning that can create these complex emotional webs around food. For example there is a lot of social conditioning that sets up these dynamics. For example, telling women, I remember this specifically on an episode of, I think it was like a different world, right? So like the character Whitley, her mom was like, okay, Whitley, a little on the lips, a lifetime on the hips. That was one of those sayings that I heard back in the nineties. And it kind of forces this dynamic where women are making these automatic associations between food and physical appearance. So the subtle implication is that if you are a woman of a certain size, then you're going to be less desirable, that you will be less attractive, that you will be less period. Okay. And we already struggle with issues of being enough and feeling worthy. And so even something as simple as that can trigger those types of associations. So when I tell you that we have a tangle of emotions associated with food, it is really important to recognize how your attitudes about food were shaped What kind of messaging did you receive when you were growing up? And think about how those messages are connected to ways that you think about wealth and status and worthiness and attractiveness, which brings us to spiritual hunger. So back to our guiding scripture, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So as we talked about last episode, this is where Jesus is out in the wilderness and he's being tempted. You know, he's out there fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And this is a response, a rebuttal to one of those temptations. And there are all kinds of hungers in this life. Physical hunger is just one. So on the last episode, we broke down the difference between physical cravings and emotional ones. Well, here in this scripture, Jesus, as I said, went away to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And I'm not going to lie, you know my pastor is literally doing this right now. Like whenever he asks us to fast from like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., I'm throwing like heavy side eye. Like, I'm like, what, why are you doing this? Like, what do we do? What is this for? <laughs> you know, it feels like punishment. You know, I can make it, I can barely make it 12 hours, let alone 40 days. So, you know, Jesus was a real G cause that ain't my testimony. But the point is in moments of weakness, we can get tempted to satisfy our hurt or our hunger with these physical resources or these physical entities. And this is what Jesus means when he says that man cannot live by bread alone, meaning we cannot live to satisfy our physical appetites solely because you can eat to physical capacity. You can drink until you are stone drunk and still be hungry and still be thirsty for love for belonging for connection for peace for wholeness for healthy relationships for safety harmony forgiveness and reconciliation food is not a replacement or a substitute for the work of repairing relationships food is not a replacement or a substitute for the work of being vulnerable Food is not a replacement or a substitute for loneliness. It is not a replacement or a substitute for healing trauma or going to therapy or setting boundaries. Food cannot do the work that you're not willing to do. Food can't slay the dragons. It can't battle the demons. That is not what it was designed for. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 and 13 says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. Here, Paul is saying that we have to stop majoring in the minor, okay? Like we have to to take a, a larger look at the bigger picture because just because you can eat or drink or gamble to your heart's content does not mean that it's in your best interest to do so. He says specifically, I will not be mastered by anything, meaning I will never let any substance or activity or pursuit have so much pull in my life that I become a slave to it, that I cannot exercise self-control. What is food for? He says it, the stomach. And what is the stomach for? Food. And neither of them are going to last beyond our last breath. So Paul always is trying to get us to focus on things that are beyond this life, things that are more eternal. The gospels do the same thing, you know, don't, don't build your treasures for things on earth because you can't take it with you focus beyond this world, this time, this place. And so Paul is saying that we can't just get caught up in the here and now we can't get caught up in the next meal and food becomes such a, a presence in our lives that it, it creates this bond of, slavery, essentially, where you just can't shake it and you have to have certain things and you, you go through withdrawals if you don't have certain foods and certain needs. Like It just, it can't be like that. He's saying is that it can't be like that, that that's not what it was designed for. It was designed to nourish you and there's a place where it gets nourished, which is your stomach and the stomach was designed for that purpose and that's it, but that cannot be the end all be all. And I tell you this because, you know, I used to be that person. How did I blow up to 240 pounds? That's what I was at the start of this pandemic. Ooh, child. On this five inch, four, I mean, five foot, four inch frame. Okay. 240 pounds, five feet, four inches. How did I do that? How did I get there? Because I didn't want to do the work because I was trying to avoid conflicts because I was willing to sacrifice my happiness to keep the peace, to keep other people happy. Because I had been conditioned, keyword, to take one for the team. I, at some point, am going to do a whole series about being like the oldest girl in the family or the only girl in the family. I'm not saying that it's always the case. But if you tend to be the oldest female in the family, the responsibilities that are placed on your shoulders are just un reasonable and unreal, but that's a whole nother episode for a whole other series. But yeah, I had been conditioned to take one for the team. I had learned to disassociate from my emotions, keyword and escape elsewhere. So if you go back to last season and you listen to the mama trauma series, disassociation is a trauma response. We, we learn about fight, flight, or freeze. And then there's this other one, disassociation, where it's like, oh, I cannot physically escape what's happening right now, so I'm going to mentally escape. I'm just going to go elsewhere. And so I learned to separate myself from my emotions so that I wouldn't have to engage them. And so instead of engaging my emotions, I was picking up a fork, I was picking up a glass. I had been convinced that self-care was betrayal. And so that combination of things, being willing to sacrifice my happiness, trying to avoid conflict, dissociating from my emotions, all of that concocted to me being able to try to self-regulate because when you are in distress, your body is searching for ways to regulate itself, to get back on track, to feel okay, to manage the anxiety in some way, shape or form. And this is the way that I was managing my anxiety. But I woke up. I was literally addicted to like food and alcohol. And I said, no, 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 this cannot be my life. And so, as I said on the previous episode, this journey for me really started back in mm, 2018, 2019, started going to therapy. And so I was in therapy a good year or two before this pandemic came along. And so by the time the pandemic came along, I was finally in a place where I had done so much inner work that I was ready to focus on the outer work. And suddenly I had the time to focus on the outer work because I didn't have to physically manifest my body on campus. And so that was maybe like chapter three or four of this health and wellness journey and my road to wholeness and completeness. But I will tell you, for those of you that are coming to this episode or coming to this series about the relationship with food, thinking that it's just the food, baby, it's not just the food. It's not just the food. The food is a symptom of a larger issue. And you have to really look at it in its full context, which brings us to healthy frameworks kind of changing course. So I am a teacher of metacognition. So at the college, yes, I'm an English professor, but I also teach a learning frameworks course. And one of the things that we emphasize in that course as we think about the ways that we learn and the ways that we approach learning is metacognition. That is being reflective, thinking about our thinking, like not just thinking the thoughts, but thinking why am I thinking those thoughts? (laughs) Okay, why am I doing these things? Why am I choosing this course of action? Why am I self-sabotaging? That's metacognition. And I think it's time for us with respect to this to do some reflections. So here's some questions I want you to think about and kind of ask yourself as you are contemplating your relationship with food. Question one, is there anything that I am trying to avoid? Is there any place that I am out of alignment with my values and my purpose? In other words, am I doing things that are out of alignment with my values and my purpose? Are there some conversations that are long overdue Am I depending on food for more than nutrition? Am I labeling foods good or bad, setting up judgments for myself and others? I want to repeat that. Am I labeling foods good or bad, setting up judgments for myself and others? And this is important, and I'll tell you why in a minute. You know, you have to, in addition to be reflective, you also have to be intentional about what you're doing. So that's the second thing I'm going to tell you is to be intentional just like any other relationship in your life, you can't just set it and forget it. You have to be intentional about it. And you have to be willing to try different things that work for you, Y-O-U, capital Y-O-U. You cannot compare your relationship with vegetables and somebody else's relationship and think it's supposed to be the same. And I say that because when that documentary, a few years ago, I wanna say maybe 2017-ish, there was a documentary that came out called What the Health, do you guys remember that? I think it was on Netflix, and when it came out, everybody and their mama stopped eating meat, you know, for like six, eight months. And people who had long eaten meat, like their entire lives, were suddenly online shaming other people. For eating chicken, you know, that's not a healthy relationship with food either. When you kind of take this judgmental stance and as soon as you see somebody with a bag of Cheetos, there you are casting dispersions. That's not a healthy relationship either. Setting up judgments about what people are eating or what have you is also not a healthy relationship with food. You're not the arbiter. You're not the judge and those same people that were shaming people about eating chicken a year later was back to eating chicken. So it's just like, you know, <laughs> let's let's stay in our lane. <laughs> let's focus on our own relationship and allow people to do what works best for them. You know, so for some people, a plant lifestyle works best for them. A plant based lifestyle is best for some people, more proteins and fewer grains for other people, no gluten, no gluten. You have to be willing to explore what works for you, okay? So just like every eligible person is not gonna be your next spouse, okay? Husband or wife, if you're a single person, every person that's single is not necessarily the one, okay? You have to date around and see (laughs) if that's gonna work for you. Uh, Same thing with the food world. Date around the food world and see what works for you. How do you wanna feel afterwards? Me personally, I love when I can go and eat, especially socially, and walk away from the table completely satiated, but not with that heavy, sleepy-itis, y'all know what I'm talking about, (laughs) feeling that you tend to have when you have eaten way too much. So for example, I went out to brunch uh, with friends this past weekend, and it was so great because once upon a time, brunch automatically meant French toast, mimosas, rosé all day. And it's not that anymore. Like I no longer have those associations. I went and had a Denver omelet, some iced tea and a half a piece of toast. And it was really what was great about the experience was less about the food, but more about the opportunity to just kind of engage socially with friends. And so I'm still able to enjoy the same activities. I just approach it a totally different way. And then the next thing I'm going to tell you. So one, be reflective Two, be intentional. Three, set some boundaries. So the holidays are coming up. And do I eat the mac and cheese and the sweet potato casserole? Yes, yes I do. But here is the key for me. I don't do leftovers. No ma'am, no sir. I do not take one plate out of that house. I refuse. The holiday for me is one day. And the next day I am back on my regularly scheduled program. So that's how I set boundaries. And you have to be willing to set your own boundaries, whatever that looks like. Okay. so with respect to setting boundaries, sometimes you're going to go to somebody's house and they have this plethora of food. If you know that you don't want to eat all that or there's not going to be any options available to you that you prefer, then make sure you eat before you leave home. My sister does this all the time. So she doesn't eat meat anymore um let me make sure I got that right I don't think she eats red meat anymore so no beef no chicken I mean sorry no beef no pork I think she still eats chicken and fish and her children same way they really don't indulge like my niece and nephew have never seen a McDonald's drive through she does not play that processed food game so when there are family functions she comes with everybody's little pre-made snacks and food and what have you, or she'll look on the menu and say, okay, they can have these plant-based alternatives or this chicken, or they can have sweet potato fries or whatever. Okay. So just be willing to set those boundaries and don't allow people to pressure you into eating something that you don't want to eat. If it's going to be, drinking there and you're not really drinking right now then BYOB bring what you do drink bring your water bring your LaCroix bring whatever is going to suit your iced tea whatever is going to suit your particular palate so there are ways to still engage and connect with people without walking away feeling guilty or out of integrity with what you had intended to do that day and then with respect to the emotional eating which we spoke a lot about in the first episode so if you're coming to this fresh in this series and this is the first episode you're listening to I encourage you to go back and listen to part one but with respect to emotional eating when you feel that trigger that pang, that impulse to go and open the refrigerator with and trying to regulate your emotions there are so many other things you can do you can reach out to somebody and talk about it you can journal it out you can put on your walking shoes and you can walk it out while you just go outside and pound the pavement, and listen to your favorite podcast <laughs> or audiobook. Um, you can go to target and let the candle section sing to your soul. I have so many three, three wick candles here. And like when bath and body works does that one day sale child. And, you know, just shift the atmosphere in the room. When you feel that, that emotional twinge, try to stay in gratitude. Think about, just stop and think about three things that you are grateful for and kind of shift your wiring around how you're thinking about your stress in that moment. Head out to nature, which is my personal favorite. I love nature. I love it so much. Like nature for me is, that is where God is hanging out. Okay. As much as I... Enjoy the church service here or there. And I like the church that I'm going to, but when I really just want to feel at one with the Creator outside, is where that happens. You can go for a drive, you can schedule an appointment with a therapist, you can pray and meditate. Like there are so many other things that you can do rather than reach for something that's not going to serve you and something that's really not going to solve the problem. Okay. And actually, I would love to hear your suggestions on this. So, What are some healthy alternatives to emotional eating? Hit me up at Dr. Shante Says. And that is actually where we are going to leave it for this episode. So next week, we will have a conversation with someone with expertise in the health and wellness community so that we can get some third-party perspectives around having a healthy relationship with food. But in the meantime, in between time, if you have any questions, comments, takeaways, hit me up at Dr. Shante Says, and I will see you next time.